Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for taking the time to attend this briefing. Uh, my name is Damien Gallagher, and I'm joined today by my colleagues, uh, Professor Audrey Gilmore. Audrey is a highly regarded researcher in the area of services marketing, SME marketing, and is also a former editor of the European Journal of Marketing. Also joined by Ryan Bale. Ryan's a, a doctoral candidate at Ulster University, where his research is looking at um, social media and the co-creation of value within semi-professional sports clubs. Unfortunately, our colleague Anne Pegararo from Laurentian University in Canada can't be with us and sends her apologies and our best wishes. Anne is a director of the Canadian Institute for Sports Marketing, uh, a leading researcher in the area of sports consumption and communication, focusing specifically on the use of social media. Anne has worked closely with the Canadian Olympic Committee to help build the social media capacity through the National Sports Federations in Canada. Anne is no stranger to Northern Ireland. She's visited us a number of times in the last few years. She's worked closely with many Northern Ireland sports clubs and organisations. And her message when she's here is always the same in regards to social media. Social media is where sports consumers live it is where future consumers will be. And that sets the tone nicely for the briefing that we're going to present today. Um, in the course of this briefing, we will be outlining the power and, de and delivery of sport. We will explain what our research on semi-professional sports sits within this context. We'll be demonstrating how semi-professional sports generates revenue, in other words, conducts the business of sport, and the challenges that it faces in doing so. We'll be highlighting and providing evidence of how greater attention to an additional strategic priority and the government policy of Northern Ireland at the semi-professional level has the potential to assist clubs and organisations in Northern Ireland to develop their own self-sustaining revenue. And then we'll finish with five key recommendations to address this current gap in government policy in relation to the business of sport. Whilst today we're going to talk about social media in the context of the Northern Ireland Football League, or the Irish League as it's better known, you should be aware that what we're presenting is only a small section of ongoing work that we've been developing over the last five years. That's work that cuts across many sports bodies and organisations, both here in Northern Ireland and in North America. Sport, by its very nature, is divisive divisive. It places competitors in direct opposition to each other, where inevitably there will be one winner and one loser. But this should always be for the purposes of fair competition and never for the purposes of violent conflict. Sport has a great capacity to touch every single human emotion and provides us with positive lifelong memories and feelings of, good, of, and feelings of goodwill. Unfortunately, it can also provide a source of frustration and resentment for many that leads to outcomes that are very much less than sporting. Indeed, opinion on whether sport is a force for good or bad is often divided. We would always contend that sport should always bring about more good than bad. But in order for that to happen, and in order for Northern Ireland to realise the full socio-economic benefits of sport, it requires full strategic development.
Uh, sport is delivered by three generic sectors. The public sector, the not-for-profit sector and the for-profit sectors whose boundaries and remits are distinct and well-defined yet also highly interdependent and they frequently overlap. The public sector utilises public monies and is concerned with delivering sport for participation and public good at a grassroots level and also at the elite performance level. Sport in the not-for-profit sector utilises public monies and is concerned with delivering again sport for participation in public good as well as the provision of competition at a grassroots level. Sport at the not-for-profit level undoubtedly provides a bridge to elite performance, which many clubs and organisations at this level may be interested in generating a profit from its activities. These are not distributed to any members, owners or shareholders, rather they are reinvested for the good of sport. And then the final sector through which sport is delivered is the for-profit sector. The for-profit sector is predominantly focused on sport as a commercial activity that delivers sport as entertainment to a paying public and with a professional generation of profit for pay is of primary importance for its wide-ranging stakeholders including financial investors. One area where these sectors overlap and which is currently understood but has been receiving increased attention in recent times from ourselves is that where the semi-professional sports club exists. These exist at the nexus between the for-profit and the not-for-profit sports sectors. They've been defined in terms of being clubs or organisations who compete at a national level and offer their product to a paying public. They have poor average attendances that are well below available capacity. They are heavily reliant on volunteers and are not, and are not fully professional in their setup. But importantly, they aspire to play and compete at a higher level. In order to compete at a higher level, in order to develop and grow and become strategically viable, many semi-professional clubs, in theory, generate their revenue through a number of avenues. Firstly, through match day attendance, through gate revenues. Once you get people through the gates, once people turn up at games, you can also start realising other match day revenues and merchandising opportunities. As well as that, we can also generate revenue via sponsorship and via the media. And we often refer to these three uh, sources of revenue as having a symbiotic relationship. If we can get people through the door, sponsors have a captive audience. Sponsors are more likely to invest their money in your organisation. If we get people through the door, media have an interest in providing news stories. When the media are interested, sponsors are also interested. So in theory, a symbiotic relationship that can generate revenue. As well as that, we can source money, semi-professional sports clubs can source money from both governments and governing bodies through their own fundraising efforts and through volunteers who give of their time freely. This technically isn't a source of revenue, but we include it as a source of revenue because they otherwise would have to pay those people to deliver those support services. And finally, in theory, semi-professional sports clubs can generate revenue through using their stadium, renting out their stadium and their, and their facilities on non-match days. However, 
in generating this revenue and in developing the business of sport, semi-professional sports clubs are very extremely challenged. They're facing increasing competition from the for-profit sector, the elite sports sector, where unfortunately they are perceived as having a better offering. They are facing increasing overheads and administration costs on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Their poor attendances means they've got poor, poor fan preferences, poor levels of fan fandom, and an overall lack of revenue. They're facing increasing cuts from government monies as the block grant from Westminster uh, faces increasing pressures. And generally, they're challenged by a lack of professionalization and a lack of commercial skills. As well as that, the, these challenges are compounded further by a lack of resources. They do have many volunteers within their organizations, but most of these volunteers tend to be very passionate about the development of the sport rather than the development of the business of sport. Uh, they lack, again, a lack of resources when it comes to finance, physical infrastructure, a lack of control over the wider sporting environment, and a lack of networking skills. A lot of these semi-professional clubs tend to work in isolation rather than work cooperatively together to further the cause of semi-professional sport. In other words, semi-professional sports clubs are challenged by being myopic in their strategic development and hindered in this by a scarcity of resources. They're also hindered greatly by existing government sports policy which presents an ongoing challenge to semi-professional sports clubs with its focus to date upon the three strategic priorities of participation, performance and places. Participation in sport and physical recreation where there's a lot of good work going on at the minute. People, colleagues at Ulster University, uh, organisations such as the Female Sports Forum, all creating good impact, making good uh, inroads in terms of physical recreation and involvement in sport. Performance in terms of producing successful world-class performances and the development of systems required for elite athlete development and where again a lot of good work has been done by Ulster University, Sport NI and the Sports Institute for Northern Ireland. And the final strategic priority of course being places in terms of the standard and availability of improved, of improved stadia and facilities, the recent uh, redevelopment of Windsor Park Ravenhill and hopefully in the not too distant future the, the redevelopment of Casement Park provide strong evidence for this as well as recent investment in things like the North West 200 and the promised £36 million for the Northern Ireland Football League in terms of developing their own particular stadia. As a result of these three strategic priorities and this existing policy, much of the current government sport funding is directed towards fulfilling these existing strategic priorities, and that should continue. We're not here today to advocate that these are reduced, these are removed. What we're here today is to advocate that the business of sport should also now be added as a key strategic priority within government policy. Much semi-professional sports club activity is also directed towards satisfying these three existing priorities.
there doesn't seem too much focus upon the business of sport and, and, deter and delivering long-term strategic development. With insufficient attention being made to commercial development and the business of sport, questions could be raised over the long-term viability of many semi-professional sports clubs within Northern Ireland. As a result, this is the reality of the revenue streams the semi-professional sports clubs face. Because of a lack of attendance, they're not really realising any match their revenues. They're not really realising any merchandise. Government money has, has declined. Government money, governing body money has declined. As a result, the lack of attendance, sponsorship money has declined. Media has declined. Stadium revenues are not quite working just yet. And as a result, they still remain heavily reliant on informal, short-term, volunteer-led fundraising and the goodwill of many volunteers. However, they now have an opportunity to redress this using social media to develop their own media channels and connect with existing lapsed or potential fans, both locally, nationally and globally, on a relatively inexpensive cost basis. We would see this social media as one, of the, as one avenue for developing the business of sport and despite it still being relatively underdeveloped at the semi-professional level, we have found evidence with that with strategic development, <coughs> it has the potential to assist clubs and organisations in developing their own self-sustaining revenue, in other words, making a contribution to the business of sport. There is some evidence that exists at the elite level around how social media can be monetized to create revenue for sports organizations. If you look at these two tables on the overhead here, you'll see two well-known football clubs, Real Madrid and Barcelona, both in excess of 120 million social media followers. If you look on the right-hand side, you'll see that both of those clubs monetize that to the extent of £2 per follower. The real story here is if you go slightly left of Real Madrid and Barcelona, and you'll see Paris Saint-Germain, who have, in relative terms, a lot less social media followers at 35 million, but use that 35 million to generate around 22 pound per social media follower. So there is evidence existing that increasing your social media content, delivery, style, engagement can be monetized to deliver the business of sport. Of course, Paris, Barcelona, Real Madrid is a long way from Northern Ireland. Um, so what we have done, we have used the context of the Northern Ireland Football League and examined the impact of social media upon the consumption of sport within this context. We have ascertained a, a very representative sample of 1,049 fans, 92% of which were male and 8% were female. We'll come back to the 8% female in a, in, a little, in a little minute because there's quite interesting statistics uh, to be found there. As well as that, we got a good range of actual attenders, the people that attended one to five games, ten games, and then people that attend every single game a year. So we've got a good representative sample here. In terms of their overall social media use, just in their everyday life, the 1,049 people that you call 
heavy social media users, 88% of them are using social media multiple times a day. When it comes to engaging with social media with their local Northern Ireland Football League club, this is significantly reduced. Only 33% of them would be classified as heavy social media users with their local Irish League club. That would suggest to us that unlike Paris Saint-Germain, uh, they don't have very engaging content. A lot of Ryan's doctoral work is uncovering that fans don't find a lot of value in the current offering in the social media. However, despite this low engagement, we are finding good evidence that those 33% who do engage with social media have value, can deliver value for semi-professional sports clubs. They display higher levels of commitment to their team, higher levels of attendance at games, higher likelihood that they'll purchase season tickets, purchase team merchandise, and importantly, a higher propensity to say positive things about attending a Northern Ireland Football League game, which if you think about one of the challenges they face is in terms of the per perception of what Irish League football is all about. So that's very important. We noted earlier that there was only 8% of respondents were female. However, when you dig below the surface of what that 8% means, it's actually quite, uh, it's really, really quite interesting. Of those 8%, they're just as likely as their male counterparts to attend at least one home game. They're actually more likely to attend 16 plus away games. Females are also more likely to be purchases, purchasers of season ticket holders. This is pointing towards females as having stronger, if not equal, levels of fandom than the regular male attenders, as well as that. We can see that females are more just as likely sorry, to wear match day, sorry, to wear merchandise on match days and slightly more likely to wear that same mer merchandise on non-match days as well. And again, quite importantly, they're more likely to say positive things about attending a game on social media. So what does all this mean? Well, one can only imagine that all these benefits that social media is affording semi-professional clubs would substantially increase if there was a better strategic development through a business of sport perspective. It tells us that by using social media, just one area that the business of, of sport is concerned with, and the Northern Ireland Football League as a context for semi-professional sport in Northern Ireland, that increased strategic attention and investment will provide realisable socio-economic benefits for Northern Ireland via increased prioritisation of the business of sport at a policy level. This corroborates previous research findings by ourselves that includes a wider body of research across a comprehensive range of sports clubs and organisations in Northern Ireland, Canada and the US. It also provides us with a basis for making the following recommendations. Firstly, that greater consideration for the business of sport should be realised in future government policy. 
not at the expense of participation, performance and places, but as a complement alongside of those. We also recommend the development of a business of sport education programme to fast track the sustainable development of semi-professional sports clubs and in that we will go beyond just social media development and include areas like brand development, fan engagement, fan experience, ticket sales, sponsorship etc. We also recommend the development of a pilot programme in the short term, a pilot programme of intervention to facilitate the development of a business of sport education programme to aid the sustainable development of semi-professional sports clubs. We would strongly encourage a programme of development to facilitate a greater realisation of that latent female spectatorship and fandom that has huge benefits untapped for the semi-professional sports club. And finally, we would advocate for the appointment of an independent, non-partisan commissioner for sport to oversee the development of sport and specifically look at this additional strategic area of the business of sport. Thank you very much for your attention.